Hello and welcome to Cop Cogs episode 15. And today's episode, the topic is all about bait. We'll be talking about what makes good bait, bait application. We'll be touching on ingredients and so forth. And we've got two guests in for this one. These guys are from the DT Bait setup. We've got Fenton Trawick, who is the director of DT Baits. And we have Neil Messenger, who is a bait technician for the past 17 years. Hello, guys. How are you doing? Evening, gents. Evening. And how are you doing tonight? Very, very good, mate. And we've got Matt here as well. Evening, Rez. Evening, boys. Thanks for coming on. Evening, I can't Matt. wait to listen to this one. No, so we'll start at the very beginning. We can start with you, Fenton, if you can give a bit of a rundown on how you got involved in the fishing. I've been into carp fishing over 30 years now. Um, it all started for me all them years ago when a friend came to a birthday party when I was a young lad at my house. And it happened to be a Woolworths telescopic rod in the blister pack. My father hadn't been fishing before, done fishing at all. Um, so we went to a local lake and we literally read the instructions, or my dad read the instructions off the back of the pack of how, what you do with a fishing rod. Um, didn't catch too much to start with. But the way my father was, he was very inquisitive and wanted to know more about fishing and spent a quite, quite a long time down the local library. Um, then there was no internet to, to source information and he gathered up a lot of information about different types of fishing. Um, long and short of it is... We started on a local club just on the rivers. Um, I started off just with a small rod after the telescopic one. We got a small rod. And as my dad was coming with me, he actually got himself a rod. And I think we fumbled through it. Book in hand all the time, obviously, how to tie knots. Yeah. What baits to use, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. That then progressed on to moving on to the club's lakes really and I'll, I'll never forget it and there was one lake this it's in Essex and you turn up in the morning misty morning you couldn't see the other side of the lake but you get the pleasure anglers one side and it's Bibby City the other and all you could smell coming across the lake What's the eggs and bacon in the morning? <laughs> there, there we are, sitting there with a flask, some rubbish old sandwiches, getting a waft of eggs and bacon coming out. Anyway, all of a sudden, somebody hooks a cart. You wonder what the commotion is on the other side of the banks. You, you walk around and have a look. And I just couldn't believe the size of these fish that the lads were catching. Dad, again, started to get more interested in it. But my dad being my dad, he didn't like the crowds on the bank. He liked the peace and quiet and tranquility of being out. And just in the Angling Times, he came across a, just one of the little square adverts in the back. And it was for a syndicate, uh, not, not actually far from where we were fishing. And at the time, it was quite expensive. I mean, it was £250 a year. We went and had a look. It was a series of four lakes, um, and Dad decided to join because it was very limited membership. And one of one of the lakes, it was 
a half a mile walk from the car park to, to this reservoir. I'd slap bang in the middle of a field. Every weekend we used to go because I've insisted that we had to go fishing. Um, but there always there's this one guy, Mick, that every single weekend. And Dad got quite friendly with this guy and he, he taught us a lot. And as time moved on, he sort of took me under my wing. My dad wasn't wanting to do nights, but as I was getting more and more into it with rolling our own bait at home, and mum was getting annoyed because of the state of the kitchen. He sort of took me under, under, under his wing, really, and taught me all the basics of carp fishing. And that's really when it started. As soon as I got my driving licence, that was it, I was off. Um, there was no stopping me and unfortunately i've never seen this guy ever again um oh. yeah uh, do you remember his name fenton i don't remember his surname and you know i've tried hardest to track the guy down and um because i owe him a lot to be honest oh. so if he's um, listening <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah mick from Hat hatfield park if you remember those days so oh, wouldn't that be magical if you got in touch? Wouldn't it just? So ended up on Lee Valley Lakes. Was predominantly where I was, Broxbourne. It was all leisure sports back then. Um, and then I was lucky enough to land a ticket down on Horton Church Lake. Um, job I was in at the time, I finished lunch times on Fridays, so it was ideal for me because I was car was packed, left work straight round the M25 to Walton, and that's where I spent my time. Um, and it's just really progressed from there. Apart from what everyone has to face, you end up womanising, you get married, you have kids, you have to put fishing on hold for a little while. But once you've got carp fishing in your blood, you never lose it. Um, that's really how it all began for me. So, all those years ago. Do you remember your first carp, Fenton? I do. I do. And it was actually a river carp. It wasn't big. Oh, I mean, I, it, it was a fairly small one. Well, it was a small one. But I just remember it just pulling line off my reel and I just wondered what, what it was on the end. I couldn't believe it. It was on, you know, size 18 hook, a couple of maggots on the hook, and obviously got into the flow of the river as well and I, both myself and my dad really didn't know what we was doing. It was just oh, it's only probably five, six pounds but you know what they got. <laughs> yeah. Was that on the float, um, Fenton? Magical, yeah. But magical, really. But yeah. one, once that's the start of it, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. oh, fantastic. Once you yeah. hook your first carp, you'd never want to go and catch anything else, really. No, it's no. Like, no, that's right. Carp after that, isn't it? You get it into your head, and uh, no other fish sort of comes close after you yeah. had that magical buzz. Yeah, that's right. Right, if we go with you, Neil, how did you uh, get into this world of madness? Right, well, mine's a little bit more different story. Um, my dad was a carp angler in the 70s. And to be fair, looking back, he was a bloody good one as well. So that's how it sort of started for me. Um, he was fishing with the likes of Bill Lovett, Jeff Kemp, uh, Wild Country Park at Brentwood. So he was, he was 
in that sort of loop of like the very exclusive few at that time who was taking it a bit more serious because carp fishing back in the 70s was proper underground. So yeah. Yeah, that's where it, I think it's like what Fenton said. It, it's in your blood. Now, the time me and my brother started fishing when we was about six years old, he'd given up fishing because obviously he had a family, me and my brother, he had my mum to support. He'd sort of done a lot of his carp fishing in the early 70s. So when we come on board, it was still in our blood because all of a sudden we decided, Dad, we want to go fishing. And he was a bit shocked because we were so young when he was doing all this carp fishing to start with, he was a bit surprised that we sort of wanted to go as well. But we did go. And it started off with roach and rudd, gudgeon on little like little lakes and ponds near our house in, in Chelmsford. That progressed onto a little gravel pit, which was very, very special for me and my brother. It was about an acre little sand pit, but it had massive, massive perch in it. Now I'm talking, this is 1980 I'm going back to. We was catching four pound perch at eight years old. Wow, <laughs> very good. We catch four pound perch at eight years old. In I that's not bad. Yeah. The record was about four pounds twelve at the time, so these were these were special special fish, and I I treasure those moments with me dad and my brother fishing float fishing with worms and live baits. So back then, like as much as the carp fishing, those memories back then were were great. But obviously, you progress forward again. So as as I started getting slightly older and going to like senior school then we started well why don't you try carp fishing which is what my dad used to do in the 70s so obviously that that started to play for and then like what i just said once you catch your first double nothing else matters it's just carp 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 now i was very fortunate to have a sort of a strong teacher in my dad and he was very 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 clever person in in the way he fought he wasn't up to date with all the modern rigs at that time because obviously he'd given up but he gave us the basis of yeah. like sort of watercraft how to catch fish play fish treat them with respect because we never had unhooking mats and all that back then it was just like you had sort of an old sheet or something to put them on or you found a lump of grass and you just put them <laughs> you landed them and put them down like that so that was that was all a learning curve, and as as we got older, it just become more of an obsession and a big obsession for me to the point of where I thought of nothing else. The women for me went out the window when I was young. All I wanted to do was catch carp, and um, the time I got to like nineteen, I was catching regularly catching twenties and thirties, which was going into the early nineties now. And um, that's how Good it sort of started, yeah. I've caught some pretty monstrous fish in my time and some very prestige fish, and they've all been on DT baits, which is, I'm so proud of that because there's so many anglers out there that have told a few porky pies over the years. Um, <laughs> and But I've generally caught all of my big fish and most of my 40s all on DT products over the last 
25 years, 30 years. Fantastic, mate. You know what goes into them. We'll get onto that in a minute. Yeah. So what's your stomping ground now, then? Where's uh, your fishing now? I've backed off of the, uh, the like, the chasing around the big fish scenario a bit. Um, I've got a, uh, an eight-year-old daughter now, and she takes up a lot of my time. Um, and I'm just fishing just general club waters and, like, enjoying fishing a bit more. Because when you're... When you've done it at the level that I've done it for, it can get a little bit samey and it can get a bit routine and it can't, you're putting pressure on yourself to try and nail the big ones all the time and get them out as quick as you can. And it, it can take the, the mystique and the, and the pleasure away from it a little bit. Until you've done it at that level, I don't think people think, oh, I wish I could go fishing all the time. But when you've been on the likes of Yateley Car Park, and you've sat there for three weeks and you haven't even had a bleep, then that's like full hard fish. Yeah. Yeah. Hard, you know, yeah. so now I just generally fish sort of club waters and enjoy it a lot more. And, and I'm hoping it. to get my daughter into it as well. She can have a little bit of a go and float fish and start from where I began. Neil, if it's any consolation, my daughter's yeah. um, started getting into it and Joy's coming. Okay. So there is hope, my friend. There's hope. Yeah, that's good. Well, she oh. likes the water, so that, yeah. that so it's yeah. just the case of getting her to pick up a rod and and, yeah. and see how she goes. You know, I'll take these club waters are in the Essex area, yeah, nice yeah. and close to you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're all nice and close. Yeah. Our last guest, Mark Holmes, he made a great comment on really how you should take your fish, and he said just put the blinkers on. Don't look to the left of you. Don't look to the right of you. You yeah. put more pressure on yourself and. Yeah. You've just got to concentrate on what you enjoy about your mm. fishing. Yeah. When mm. you start looking, oh, he's caught this, he's caught that. Yeah. Why am I not catching this? Why am I not catching yeah. that? I think that's when it starts to unravel a bit and no, you don't no. enjoy it. That's totally right. I've always done my own thing. Um, when I went to Yateley, that was great because everybody was worrying about what all the stars were doing up there. And I thought, why, why is everybody worrying about what they're all doing? Worry about what you're doing. You go and try and sort it out and catch the fish. And yeah. I think that's where I did so well at Yateley is because I did my own thing and I had no fear. I just went straight in at the deep end. I knew what I was capable of and so I just and went for it. And that's, yeah. that was the results of what I had when I went up there, you know. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, guys. That's a great insight into your fishing. We shall get onto the subject at hand all about bait now i'm sure a lot of the listeners out there are going to be if they're anything like me who and me and matt there um my bait knowledge i will admit now is not the best it's i'm pretty much what your most everyday carp anger is i'm one of these guys that like the look of it if it breaks up in your hand nicely if it smells good and you see other people catch on it and you know the record with the bait is good you'll go with that bait and it's catching you a certain amount of fish, then that's usually a bait I will go with. Um, so ingredients and all that type of scientifics behind the bait is something that I'm not totally focused on. So you guys are going to be here to really up my knowledge and up my game on this type of thing. So first I want to know is how did your passion really come into it and how did you get involved in making baits? Where did that step come from where you thought, right, I, I really want to start to make baits for myself and then possibly eventually start making it for the wider masses? Shall we start with you, uh, Fenton? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, obviously, back in the day, I'm really showing my age now. Back in back in the day, um, when I started carp fishing, there was no such thing as a ready rolled bait. You had no choice. You had to buy the ingredients. You had to roll it yourself. There was no other way. I mean, I remember back in the day, sitting on the bank for a week, you're getting halfway through the week, you're starting to run out of bait, so you're having to make your bait on the bank. Boil it up on the bank. You're starting to fill bags up on the bank. You're feeding it into the lake. You roll some more. And that's just the way it was back then. Um, it wasn't until you then had the likes of Richworth that come along um, that actually bought you uh, or gave you ready-made baits. Um, and that, that really, I think, although I started using ready-made baits, um, my interest has always been in what goes into a bait. Um, and it, it sticks with you again, really back from my early days. I think if I would have started 10 years later than what I did, and I hadn't been through that process of rolling my own baits and deciding what ingredients were going into it, then I think I wouldn't have been sitting here today talking about bait. Um, so I've, I've always had a keen interest into into the ingredients and how to make a good good bait. Um, I really would eat with DT. Um, the local to where I live, I've used DT on and off for a number of years and always watched what they do and always know what they make is quality. And as Neil will say, you know, that is paramount with your fishing nowadays. So how did our bait involvement come along then with DT? How did you actually get into that director role within the company? Actually, it's been fairly recently, well, probably about 12 months ago. Um, I have got involved with DT actually with a, or my business partner. Um, we we in totally different industry for 20 years. We went our separate ways um, for the last, or for five years, and we were looking for something to do. Um, to in totally different industries, and DT. Well, I had an inkling that DT might be up for sale, so I approached the owners, and lo and behold, they showed interest. And the rest was history, really. The negotiations started, we started, I started doing some more work into DT um, and decided actually the product that they produce is superior and the proof is on the pudding when you look at the social media look at the catch report and I'm not just talking over the last couple of years when you look back in time I mean DT has been established uh, since 1988 mm. and has has been renowned out there a lot of people haven't heard about DT um, out, outside of Essex, really. I think the bait market is probably, out of all the products within 
the carp angling world, it's got to be absolutely massively difficult to, to get a foothold in anywhere when you've got the likes of Mainline, mm. Nash Bates, and these type of massive corporations that have such a foothold on the market. It's got to be hugely difficult. And I, I think that goes to say for something for DT Bates to be still around since 1988. I think there's probably been, I hate to guess how many bait manufacturers that were that were out there that were probably on a par with these companies um but just couldn't get anywhere couldn't get a foothold and, and they ended up you know going to the dogs credit to dt to to keep hanging in there and to still be out there and uh and touting their business now your involvement neil you're the bait technician so how did that come about for you within the company right well it's a seamless start to like what Fenton said when I first started off using bait I was rolling it myself and like it was all milk proteins back in the in the 80s and then obviously you just you're trying to like establish like mixes and stuff yourself because there wasn't a case of just going to a freezer pulling out a kilo or five kilos for your weekends fishing And, and going fishing. Back then, you had to, like, mix it, put get all your ingredients together. If you was missing ingredients, you'd have to go down the shops and get it or order it <laughs> in, whatever, mix it up your eggs, roll it, and then boil it, and then go fishing. So, obviously, less bait was going in the water back then, but you was learning your trade as well as, like, ingredients, what to use, what not to use, as you went along. So, carp fishing was was fun you, you like you it gave you pleasure in making your own bait and then catching fish on it you're thinking yeah i've done this i've i've made this bait and i've caught this fish and mm. gradually as time moved on fish meals started to come in and i was more of a milk protein man to start with but this is where the involvement of dt came in because when i was fishing darren i bumped into a man called Dave Thorpe and that was how it all started really he taught what he knew about bait was very was unbelievable and it sort of blew my mind because I was good at I had the ability to be a carp angler but I wasn't as good on bait back then like because I just didn't know that I didn't understand it and how it worked but Dave was the first person to sit down with me like on the bank at Darren and he talked about bait and then I started to understand how it worked and what made a good bait and so on so on and that obviously led me starting my apprenticeship with DT as a carp angler and then progressed through to being bait technician and and and, and, and manager now sort of thing you know Okay, so I know this is quite a broad question, yeah. but what are the fundamental requirements, will we say, ingredients for yeah. a good bait? There's there's a few. Um, on the milk protein side, well, all of them, if Dave always said to me, he goes, get as much calf milk and whey powder into a bait as possible and carp will love it because carp love milks. And I so I always kept that in the back of my brain and for a basis for a bait. But also on the fish meal side, carp love fish meal. So a good quality fish meal like LT94 and 
milk bee powder, green lip mussel, robin red. They're all brilliant carp catching ingredients. So on that side for a fish meal, those sort of three or four things are, are, are a must to like to make a really good bait on a fish meal side. On the milk proteins, calf milk and whey powder, and you can't go far wrong. And then you can bulk it with almost anything, and your but your fish will just love it. So when you've done all this, like you said about milk proteins, now how do you know when you've got a good bait? You've got field testers out there. Now there's uh, different measurements for for each, and if you overdo it or if you underdo it, how do you know when you put a bait out and you've got these testers? How do you know it's not great carp angling rather than the bait doing the work rather than a carp angler? Oh, that's an interesting one. I mean, one thing that you've actually got to remember that a carp can detect the nutritional content of a boilie without actually having to consume it. So if you you actually look at a a scenario that we're faced with today, certainly when you go onto a a big commercial water, um, you know, anglers are waiting for someone to leave a swim, for somebody else to jump in. The, you know, there's mountains of bait that are going into these lakes. And it's no different to you having a buffet. You know, a carp can quite easily go along and sense what is better for him to, or what's better for him. Now, location and getting your bait in the right place has always been a main part of it. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you've also got to give the carp something that it wants, something that's nutritional, that's, that it's going to find, that he's going to want to eat. He's got so much choice in that lake. Now, unfortunately, you know, there is so much bait going in, and a lot of it is much of the muchness. So you've got to stand out from the crowd, and that's that's when you're starting to see the catch reports come in and when you're testing a bait and you're giving it to your team to test and that's when you're starting to get a good judge of it because people are fishing different types of waters all the time um but yeah it's a it's a different kettle of fish now to what it was 20 years ago i think Hmm. i'll tell you what i find really interesting i was watching a youtube thing the other day and I think it was with Mark Bartlett. I might be wrong. Uh, the guy from Fox, not Fox. Um, is it Dynamite Baits? Anyway, um, I think it was Mark Bartlett, the the England angler. Is that right? Um, mm-hmm. Yes. And he was doing something where he would wash out baits. Yeah. Now he was washing out the bait. Now what I can't couldn't get my head round is that he would wash out a bait, but then he would introduce glug to that bait, and then he would let the bait soak up that glug. Now. I don't understand what the point of that is because if you're rinsing a bait of its flavours and then effectively reintroducing that flavour, I don't quite understand the logic behind it. Obviously, it works, but my small brain, I don't get that. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, um, different people do different things to try and make their bait work a bit better, I suppose, if he's happy and washing it out and then sort of rehydrating it with oils and liquids. I'm not too sure quite why he's doing that. The same as you, really. Um, I mean, obviously, if it's washed out, it, you're trying to mimic a, a bait that's been on the bottom for a, 
for a few days and it thinks the carp think it's safe to, yeah. to eat. So, yeah, yeah, why rehydrate? You know, I mean, I can yeah. isolate it again. I'm, I'm not too sure what, what he's trying to achieve there. So I'm a little uh, bit baffled with that one as you are, really. I can understand washing baits out. Yeah. Um, you know, carp can be wary. You know, they, they will see food on the bottom. They will leave it. They'll come back to it. Make sure that, you know, there's nothing untoward. And washing your baits out to mimic that it's been sitting on the bottom for a while, totally understand. Yeah. The only the only thing I can put that down to is that you're putting oils and stuff like into the bait that then release into the water once mm. you put your bait in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's not something I do personally. I think the only way that could possibly work, because um, I'm just looking at a colour perspective here if you were to wash out a bait um but i from the way i don't know if there's is there a, a clear glug yes yeah there there's is, plenty of clear glugs yeah yeah okay yeah. so you'd like perhaps reintroduce it with a clear glug so you just keep that color washed out i mean that's my only thinking that maybe that that scenario could possibly work but it works for him so who might yeah. say you know it's not a good thing because obviously he's a he's a fantastic oh, angler Every, everyone finds their own little touch that they can do to make difference to their angling, and I think that's the, I think that's what keeps people intrigued in carp fishing is you can tinker with the basics of what you've got, and just mm. tinkering basics can make the world a difference to your catch rate. I was just thinking when you were saying about. Um, the uh, bait development and um, carp hunting out the, the 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 nutrition they want from a bait, as well as sending the bait out to your your anglers to test it. Do you ever tank test or pond test the baits to see how they react against other baits? Uh, the only the only way you tank test it is to see um, over a period of time what actually happens to the bait. Um, but that's no different to dropping it into the margin of the lake whilst you're fishing, really, you know, to yeah. see how, how quick it breaks down, etc. Um, I don't personally, I don't really believe in tank testing because I think it's a bit of an artificial test, to be honest with you. Or okay. um, the, the real test is out there where, where you want it to work. Um, yeah. where you're hoping it's going to work and the only real way of doing that is giving it to people and monitoring the results and what they think to it um, you know a lot of our team members you know they're serious anglers that spend some serious time on the banks and they'd be the first ones to tell you if they didn't if they didn't think it was working or the catch rates had dropped or likewise if they've improved they're not too keen on telling you um, if it's improved because then it goes to market and then they've lost it. <laughs> so that's it's the best kept secret in carp fishing, I think. So <laughs> <laughs> many anglers over the years that we give them the bait and then they don't want to, oh, I'm keeping this to myself. Oh, What's dear. this do? What's that do? Right, I'm using this, and then they won't go and advertise because they know they've got the edge over everybody else. Oh, <laughs> we oh, built the company up on and reputation up on being using good quality baits and ingredients and 
only the best will pretty much do. And that's mm. why we've stood the test of time since 1988, really. What I said to you, Neil, a bit earlier about um, my sort of approach when I come to buying a bait. Now, how can you prove that for me? And perhaps a lot of like, anglers that are listening to this is when you're looking at that bag, when you look, you're picking up that kilo bag, that five kilo bag, you're looking at it. It's maybe it's a bait that you've previously used as the bait that you've seen in the magazines. You've seen some other carp angler catching big fish on it. Now, what can improve my knowledge that when I'm looking at what ingredients should I be looking for, what would you personally do? Let's say you're not looking at a DT bait. You're picking up a bag of whoever, Nash, Mainline, that type of bait. What are you specifically looking for if, you're, if you've got that bait in your hand? Well, a bit like what you said earlier, a little bit of texture um, with some, like, some niger seed in or, or bird seed or CLO in it, so it gives it a little bit of crunch. Um, I would probably, generally when I've used baits, I, I do taste them as well. I know that sounds a bit crude, but like if it tastes all right to you, then you've got to think that a carp sense is uh, a 10 times or 100 times stronger than, than ours and, and smell as well. Um, it doesn't always, don't always go down the route of like, it has to smell nice because I've caught carp on, on some things that like you just say, God, Jesus, I'm never, mm. never going to use that again. Mm. Like mint mm. garlic, I remember from years ago. And like, it, it was like, it was so powerful. And I think, uh, but I caught fish on it and I caught, but I thought I'm not using that because it was just, it just stunk the house out in the kitchen, you know? But like going back to the, the bait, like to just the, the, the texture of it. Now, if it's completely bland inside, I would generally steer clear because it's generally meaning a lot of the time they're using, I, I can't say this for everybody, um, but they're pro, if it's that fine inside and there's no texture at all, it's probably the lesser scale of the ingredients of what the industry use. Let's put it that way. Is there any way that you can actually, I know uh, a lot of the... It's hard to tell what's in it. I mean, I've obviously been there and like seen hundreds of boilies and made millions of boilies over the years. But for you guys out there, you don't know what goes in it. And the manufacturers are not always going to tell you what they put in it either. Do you think that's something that should be done? The key here to what ingredients you're putting in is the quantity of them. So... As long as the angler know what ingredients are going in, do you think that's something that should be shown on this packaging? Well, well I actually, think it's be a necessary thing. And um, Fenton can uh, talk on this subject about it because we're going through all this with the EU now. So I'll let Fenton carry on with this conversation. Yeah. That's an interesting one, actually. And um, <laughs> whether you, some people know about this, but times are changing yet again. Um, unfortunately, people will say it's bad news for uh, fishing bait because we're now coupled under the animal feed regulations. And to, when you well, now we're coupled under the feed regulations, all your packaging has to have your animal feed license number on it. Um, to me, it's not a bad thing. I think it's about time, actually, that. We are, it is monitored. And what it actually means being under the animal feed regulations is that 
it's ensuring the ingredients that you're using are fit for purpose. Now, people say, oh, why is bait come under the animal feed? It's not, carp, carp's not an animal feed. And you look at it from the English point of view, but no, you're right. You know, people are feed, feeding it into the lake, you're catching a fish, you're putting it back in the water. But if you've only just got to go across mm. the water into France and other parts of Europe, it's natural for them to be fishing in freshwater lakes to be putting food on the table. Now, you have a piece of meat, and you want to know where that meat's come from. You want to know that what that's been reared up on has been on good feed. So if you're, if you're putting fish on your table, then actually doesn't the same thing apply? Now, I know it doesn't apply to us in the UK. Unfortunately, that is the case nowadays. And bait companies have to comply with that. Um, don't get me wrong. You have to jump through hoops from it. It is very painful. Neil has seen the process that we've gone through and it yeah. is extremely painful. Um, you know, in, we have to monitor every ingredient that comes into the building. We have to verify the source of it. We have to record it. Each batch that we make is recorded. Everything's given a batch number, best before date. Um, so it goes out in the packaging. You've got all this information on the packaging. You go to any fishing tackle shop now, and any of the big companies, you will see this on there. You will see a breakdown of the nutritional value of the bait on it. It's no different mm. than buying food nowadays. That's you will right. see it on the bait. That can, that can only be a good thing. Yeah. Now, obviously, ingredients are also on the packaging. Mm. But, like, you know, no different to us. Obviously, you've got to put what's in there to a certain extent. But then... Uh, you're not going to give away your, your trade secret. No, no, no. I, I think it's like it's like Coca-Cola, isn't it? At the end of the day, you put what ingredients you got. They're not going to give you their uh, the, the secret no, recipe. recipe. No, that's right. And I think this way, with it being a lot stricter now, it's going to cut a lot more of the uh, just cowboys and just the like one-man band things out of it. So it will go down to more main companies now in because of all the regulations and how strict things are going to be. And you've got to think as well that carp fishing now is a different beast to what it was, you know, even mm. 10 years ago. Mm. The, the amount of bait that goes into this water is, is, you know, I mean, if you're talking throughout a year, it's tonnes of bait yeah. going in. And yeah. if we really want, if anglers individually want to care for the carp and care for the environment that they're throwing this bait into, I'm a little bit skeptical about oils as well that that we put into the water i'm not sure what these oils do in the long term i know a lot of oils go in you know people put oil in their bags they put oil in their spod mix what is the long-term impact on these lakes now as far as we know it's not been anything devastating or anything that we know it's, it's not going to harm the environment because i think it would probably show up by now from the quantities that are going in but let's say in the future there may be a bait manufacturer that finds a magic ingredient that just turns these carp crazy and turns them on. But as from a fish welfare point of view and from an environmental welfare point of view, it might be absolutely terrible and, and devastating for that, for that side of thing. So, but money talks in this game and you may get some less scrupulous 
bait owners out there or bait company owners that just see the dollar signs and they think, look, if they're going to catch fish better than anyone else out there, bar none, but we really don't care what it does to the environment in the long term, because it might be a slow process. It might not just happen you feed the fish and then the next day it's dead. It could be it could be a five, six-year process, ten-year process where the fish eventually start to succumb to whatever additive or ingredient that's been put into this bait and maybe the wider environment as well, um, the smaller fish that are perhaps picking up the smaller crumbs and that sort of thing all have a negative impact on them. So I think as the anglers can really know what's going in and it just gives them a bit of better understanding what they're feeling. And, and for the lake owners as well, surely they want to know what bait's going I'm sure if you ask most lake owners what baits are being put in, they probably don't know. Mm. No. 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 I mean, you know, this is a very good point. And I think, you know, I mean, complying with the animal feed regs has, isn't a new thing that's just come out this year. I mean, this has been around for a couple of years now. and But I think last year really highlighted the problem. I mean, we was in lockdown at the beginning part of the year. There was no fishing going on. You've got a few lakes that was throwing some feed bait in just to keep the the fish fed up. Now, as soon as they said go, everyone down on the banks, bivvied up, weeks on end. There's tons of bait getting thrown in the water. And all of a sudden, we have this heat wave. Now, a fish can only eat so much at the end of the day. All this tons and tons of bait going in the water. You've got the heat wave on top of it. What happens? It's all sitting on the bottom, not decomposing properly. And it starts affecting the water quality. Affects with with the heat as well, and it starts taking the oxygen out. Mm. That's why last year we started to see a lot of fish deaths in the summer, and lakes like Bluebell Lakes started restricting the amount of bait people were putting in the lake because they could see that that was the problem. They put cameras under the, under the water to see all this bait just scattered all over the all over the lake bed and realise this just can't continue. Now, I think with lake owners, I think they're now starting to wise up to this. You know, they've got hundreds of thousands of pounds of investment in fish sitting in their lakes. They can't allow this to happen. And I think we're going to start seeing lake owners start being a little bit more strict about what you can and can't use. Mm. Uh, and, and maybe even the lakes that have got their own shops on site will start stipulating that you have to buy the bait from them. Very I similar think. to the continent. Exactly. I, I think I can see that coming. Yeah. I mean, we've put down the whole particle route in the past. You know, some, some lakes won't allow particles, and you totally understand why, because people aren't cooking them properly and throwing them in the water. Um, mm. And I think we're just going to go that's just going to move along now with boilies. Yeah, that's right. I totally agree. But I think it's educating the angler as well about this as well. I think that's the, that's the key thing. Um, a lot lot of people don't actually realise what is happening out there. 
and especially these on-site tackle shops that sell the bait, like we're talking about the lake owners changing their bait, they need to be aware of that bait that's going in because it's their livestock at the end of the day. And, and I think perhaps they fall on the big manufacturers too much. I, I know these big manufacturers, they do put good bait. I'm not saying that they don't, but maybe they should be asking more questions what are they feeding their livestock on? What are you giving me? I know it's a good bait. I know it catches fish. I know it keeps the customers happy. I know my fish aren't dropping dead. But maybe their fish could have a better state of health if they were giving them better bait. And if they knew that, they think, well, if I actually gave them this bait instead of that bait, my fish would get bigger. They'd be healthier. Um, they wouldn't have premature deaths. Maybe it's something that's the road they should go down. Now, I'm going to ask a bit of a out there question. I've always been a, a little bit about weeding lakes. Now, I've got a local club water that I've fished on and off for the best part of 25, 30 years. Um, not always carp fishing, but I've noticed it's the weed in it has just got worse and worse and worse. Now, mm. I don't know if that's from anglers, more anglers, because there has been, the, the growth of anglers been on there has been incredible, and there's a lot more bait that's going in. There's still a lot of wild birds on there. It's country park. There's lots of wild birds uh, and other fish to to perhaps eat the bait. But I just wondered, does bait have a contribution to to weed growth? Good question. Because I'm just thinking it's going to act like a like a compost in a way. Yeah, yeah, uh, that is a very good question. And to be honest, to be honest, from my my perspective, it's not one that I can really answer. Um, I've studied or looked into, to be honest with you. Yeah, I know it's a bit of an out there question. Just, just yeah, food for thought, really. I can't say over all the years that I've been fishing if you use like uh, bait that it makes the weed grow. I can't break down of it, might sort of fertilize the bottom a little bit. I don't know mm. if it's a good quality one, but I don't Do you know. Do if... think lakes are just getting more weedier, or is it just something we're perhaps just it, discovering it more? or do you think it's it's got worse over the years? Do you, are you well, I suppose if I suppose if carp are eating a higher quality bait, and their excre their excrete their excrement yeah. is of a higher quality, then what's going in the lake beds and the sediment oh. and the chod, yeah, is a lot higher. You know, right. it's not got a not a lot higher nutritional value to the lake bed. Then you're naturally going to get a better uh, ecology in the in the water aren't you that's right and i you know i mean let's face it nowadays the our whole seasons have changed haven't they they have um, but yeah 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 that's got a lot to do with it yeah 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 it's interesting mm. very I'm, interesting I'm, amazing question res i mean and i'm also thinking maybe because these are grazers carp are naturally um weed grazers now if you're putting a lot of bait in, they don't need to eat the eat the weed that's in the lake. No. no. Mm. Mm. So maybe they're ignoring the weed and the weed's becoming more and more overrun because in essence it doesn't have a predator, as in the carp to come and, and sort of mow the grass. Yeah. No, that's, another, that's another good point. That's yeah, right. Mate. But I think I think what an interesting one will be this year is, you know, we have had a, a harder winter this year than what we've probably had for the last few years. Yeah. And it, what will be interesting to see is what's happened to the weed growth this I, year. And I went on my local water only a week or so ago, and it's, it's one from notoriously bad for weed. Now, I thought I'd turn up um, and it, it wouldn't be too bad. It 
took me best part of three or four hours to find any spot that I could fish. Um, and I must have been in six or seven swims. Um, and I, it's just it's just getting terrible. It's just getting absolutely overrun with weed. And I think that's not going to be good for the fish as well because obviously the oxygen levels are going to crash in certain times of year. It's going to go up and down like a yo-yo. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what it's like when I go about that next year. If, like I said, if the weed... And, and the, there was growth. I was, I was getting weed out and you could already see quite a bit of, of growth on the weed um, already. You know, you could see new shoots developing on there. So I was like, quite well, what's going on here? It's been growing already for the past... Um, four or five weeks i'm not an expert on fauna in a, in a pond but i just go by what i see if it starts growing earlier naturally i don't know but i just get this sense there's just so much there of it now and a lot of lakes that you fish you're always battling it it's i don't know it's, it's so dominant in angler's life now is tackling Ooh, weed right. and, and i just can't remember it being like that no, I think, I think you're right. And when I, when, after now you brought the question up and I look back at my angling, I, I can't say that I, I've been through that like it is in the last five years. I mean, it, like you say, it does seem to be prolific everywhere nowadays. Um, even when you've got the weed cutters out, you know, there's, there's I mean, it's Orchid Lake's probably a prime example. They have a weed cutter, don't they, that, that goes around every so often and... Uh... You know, so you've got these lake owners that have to actively go out and cut the weed because it, yeah. it's just so detrimental to people losing fish. It's got such a bad knock-on effect. It also have the uh, the oxygen le- levels that go up and down. Then you have the um, the fish getting snagged up in the weed. The anglers losing tackle. So you have all these uh, problems associated with it. And I just can't remember it being that bad. Um, Maybe it's more of a climate. I think maybe this is more of a climate thing rather than a bait thing. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could Um, be, yeah. We're not getting winters. I know we've we've had a bit of snow and that of recent times. But in general, the last sort of like 10, 15 years, the winters are not getting as bad. It's like you remember back to when you was a child or a kid the winter seemed a lot colder and mm. sharp across, and we always used to get snow. Half the time in the last 10 years, if we get a few snowflakes, we've done well, you know? Mm. Um, I think it's a lot to do with climate change rather yeah. than, than bait. I agree. We've seen like, levels of bait going in, mm. obviously, and like more fertilisation on the bottom of the of the lake bed that is mm. obviously going to encourage mm. weed so maybe it's a bit of both when you realistically look at it and only scientists will really be able to tell us on that one yeah and i think also it may be that the the, the tactics that anglers use so like let's say you go to oxley's or you go to brazenose on linear now these obviously these lakes see tons of bait going in but the stock levels in there are normal lake is humongous they've got huge number of stock of fish in there so they can cope with the amount of bait that's going in and maybe when they go into waters that have less fish in they're perhaps still applying the same tactics and the same methods so you're having this overfill of bait that's going into the water that's maybe contributing to it but yeah, we digress, mate. Um, that's perhaps another that's question. What, that's what I love about podcasts. We can start talking about bait, and we're on ecology of water and uh, the seasons. Brilliant. Um, go around in circles and talk about this all night, can't we? We could do, mate. That's definitely Yeah, right. but it, 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 it's great to talk about yeah. things that get you thinking, though, isn't it? Yeah. 
Oh, right. Okay. right, okay, we touched on this a little bit, but I'll, I'll be a little bit more blunt. Now I asked you what we should be looking for as your ordinary angler, who's not a bait expert on what a good bait is. You've given us a pretty good, uh, pretty good answer to that. Now what should we be looking for? What makes a bad bait? What makes a bad bait? Yeah. Um... Well, I, don't, I think I'll, I'll answer that one actually, Neil. I mean, I, 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 at the end of the day, any any boy will catch a carp. But as I said, as I said before, um, it's when you're on high pressured water, the fish is going to pick out what's best for it. And unfortunately, the baits with lesser quality are just going to sit there. Because all the time that good quality bait is being introduced to the water, that's what's going to get eaten first. Um, if you if you're on a runs water, um, you know, lot lots and lots of singles and low doubles, you know you can use a low quality bait and you can go along and still have good sport. It's as simple as that. But you wouldn't want to be fishing, you know, a big fish water, putting in, you know kilos and kilos mm. of poor quality bait you've got too much competition fishing around you yeah i'm just thinking from a perspective again if you're picking up the bait if you're picking up the bag um or you've got the bait out the bag and like you say you would taste it i mean would it be a case if, it, if it's rock hard you're thinking or if it's not breaking up in your hand right if it feels a bit plasticine i don't know is it is there any sort of indication that you might think just not from the catchability from it but from a fish welfare point of view is there anything that you may give it up a little bit easier i know it's very difficult to yeah i mean from a from my perspective it'd be interesting to hear neil's take on this as well from my perspective from the sales front from anglers phone in the office every every day i've lost count how many times even today i've spoken to potential new customers you know who the serious ones are, but you know people that find us. I've looked at your website. You know you you're expensive. Oh, why why have I got to pay that sort of money for bait? I you know surely I've got to pay. I I can pay five six pound a kilo for for boilies. <laughs> so, not, not being funny. How much have you got out and spent on your rods, your alarm? Yeah. Your grill? yeah. You've got some Dale Kims or some Fox buzzers oh yeah yeah you know it really looks good on the bank mm. well yeah but why do you want to go and spend five or six pound on a kilo of boilies you're paying for what you get if you want quality bait you've got to pay a higher price for it and that's one of our philosophies yeah um you know we'll never be the cheapest in the marketplace we don't want to be the cheapest in the marketplace but what you won't beat us on is the quality that we provide and it's as simple as that now a lot of oh, there are people that just go okay cheers mate i'll move on to somebody else off they go but then you get talking to people and they actually realize that what you're saying actually makes sense and they give it a go and what gives me satisfaction is when they phone back or i get emails or messenger alerts through facebook i've just had one today a new customer absolutely over the moon first time he's been out on the back on the bank um since before christmas first time using our bait and he's just banked himself a, a 30 pound 10 fish that, mate that must be euphoric 
Now, to get that and a picture with him holding that is, is amazing. It just yeah. makes my day wanting to go back. I, I can't wait to go back and keep rolling quality bait. I yeah. mean, that, to me, is everything. And keep seeing these messages come through left, right and centre. It, it, it's everything for me, <laughs> to be honest. It, I, I enjoy that just as much as fishing. <laughs> I think, um, Fenton and Neil, that... There's parameters set because I'm sure you guys could make a much better quality bait if the anglers were prepared to pay the price for it. Nash had the key, which they had to withdraw, I think that's right, because that was £16 a kilo. Yeah. And they had to withdraw that because anglers weren't prepared to pay that. Now, I think what it is from an angler's perspective is, I know you're saying what you're saying is exactly right about why would you pay you know, low money for bait when that's what the fish are going to eat. That's what, if you want to catch, this is the game. You want to catch the fish. It doesn't matter if you've got a, an Argos rod, but if you've got good bait mm. on the end of that rod, you're going to catch that carp better than the guy with, with state of the art, you know, um, Fox Horizons, whatever. But the problem is with that, they know they're going to take the Fox Horizons home at the end of the day. But that bait they're throwing in, they're thinking, well, I'm never going to see that again. But again, I would say if you're going to look at them terms, I would just use a better quality bait, but just use less of it. Yeah, that's don't... right. You don't always, that's the fallacy. When you've got like high quality bait like ours, you don't have to chuck in loads and loads of bait. You can just fish sensible amounts of bait, 25 baits per rod, and you'll catch just or catch more fish like that. I'd rather yeah. have a, a kilo of good quality bait which you know the fish are definitely going to eat rather than 10 kilos of just cheap, nasty Samo yeah. soil with a bit of diet. Couldn't, couldn't agree with you more, Neil. That, yeah. that, 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 that's the thing. That's, yeah. It just brings no point in just... You pay for what you get, basically. It's the same as a car. You don't go into Audi and expect to, to buy it, but like for a blimmin' uh, a little Renault 500. Do you know what I mean? It, mm. the, the, mm. the, the, the class factor in build quality and engine and the whole thing is is a different total model completely so you're not going to get it for the same price and yeah. that's how we've we've made it on the sort of on the bait side as, as well you pay for what you get basically going back to your original question though res because i think that was interesting you can and don't get me wrong we have had customers come on and say right you know i want you to make me the best of the best of the best bait Okay, well, how, how do you want us to make it the best of the best? Well, you know, I want you to put all all your best ingredients into a boilie for me. Um, <laughs> you do what the customer asks to a certain extent. You try to guide them and say, well, you don't really need, you go, that's just going too far. Um, some you can talk to, others that have obviously got more money than sense. So, no, no, I, I want to outfish all my mates. I want the best of the best of the best. And people, some people will pay the money for that. From my personal experience, it's not needed. You, you can put too much quality into a bait. There's only so much you can put in that's going to make a difference to catching a fish. And I think that what DP do is give enough goodness in the bait with the ingredients we use at a sensible price 
to give the angler the best chance of catching. Yeah, the, the anglers that we've had on, the running thing that we've got with a lot of the anglers that we've, we've uh, heard on these podcasts is that you don't need to be throwing it in. You just need to be on the fish and give them decent bait. Uh, yes. And give them something they want. Just make sure everything that you're doing is, you, you know, your your trap is set, and you've That's got right. some some bait around it. And I think it's over the past, bait, is it? yeah. <laughs> it's your rig. You've got yeah. your water craft, making sure you're in the right place. You've. It's not just your bait. Yeah. Bait is a contribute a big factor to that. Yeah. And how many times have you been you've been fishing on a lake, and you'll see some guy spotting, you know, maybe on the other side of the lake, and then all of a sudden, you'll have three or four or five other anglers start spawning because I think, hang on a minute, he's spotting, he's Got catapulting, you. baiting, you know, and it's like this competition. Well, I don't want the fish to go over there. I want them to come over here. So I'm going to throw in another two kilos of bait in. You've probably ruined your chances because you might be only able to get that one bite of your session, but that bite might be a good bite, but it might be your only one and you've ruined it because you've chucked 10 kilos out and you're going to go home really unhappy. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's one of the big changes I've actually seen over the years up to sort of today, really. I mean, spotting back then was a thing that's as prolific as it is now. What is it with anglers nowadays? They don't want to seem to be able to cast to the moon and be able to spot to the moon as well. Everyone seems to be neglecting the margins. Now... The syndicate office last year is no different. I mean, the spot's going in. I mean, it's horrendous. And everyone's getting annoyed because the other side of the lake are trying to uh, are going for the middle as well. I had two two rods tucked down the margins, three, four feet off the bank. I had, That's where I had all my fish. I've had one, you know, 20, 30 yards out, but all my fish come from the margin. No spotting whatsoever. Mm. Angling goes through fads. Yeah. And I think the fad at the moment is how far you can cast and how far you can spot. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It is. I, I mean, that's definitely that. Yeah. You do have to punch it out 120 yards to hit, mm. to get close to an island, I, you know, on some of these big waters. Mm. But, People do neglect the margins nowadays. Yeah, I, I definitely don't because I can't cast more than 50, 50 feet, to be honest. But <laughs> Are you on your wall of trod still? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a good margin fisherman, I guess. Yeah, that's it, yeah. That's the way I like it. I can put everything nice and neat, and I know it's, I know it's all fishing. We'll move on from that. We'll get on to bait now. You guys, uh, I've, I've had a look at your website and you produce some fantastic bait there. Now, how do the changing seasons affect which type of bait? Or does it does it really matter? I know from my own personal experience over the years, I've learned a little bit of something about bait, about fish meals shouldn't be used in the winter. Mm-hmm. I mean, how is that affected throughout the year? Can you give us a bit more on that, Neil? Yeah. Um, as for the fish meals thing, you just pointed that out. Fish. There's a big fallacy about fish mills in winter. Mm. Now, yeah, fish mills are more of a summer bait. That is without a doubt. And they love them to bits. They will eat fish mills in the winter. But the biggest thing is with them is they can't digest them as well. So 
basically, if you give them, like, say, 50, if they eat 50 fish meal boilies, they probably won't want to eat for the next two weeks. So you're better off going down milk protein route where they can digest it, squirt it out their backside, and, and they can move on within a couple of days. They're hungry again. It's going through their system a lot, lot quicker. So, yes, on that front, bait is quite important, summer and winter, and it's definitely better to have mixes that are designed for summer and mixes that are designed for winter. Fortunately, at DT, we've got one of the best ones for the winter, being cold water mixed green beast. That, yes, what a bait. Yeah, that's, it is, it's designed for cold water temperatures. It, the, the fish can digest it properly. They, it smells great. It catches the angler. It catches the carp. And personally, and, and a lot of people will say this, it's so underrated, but a lot of people who use it swear that it's the best winter bait that they've ever used. Can you go in a little bit more detail on about why it's a good winter bait? I mean, a little bit about the ingredients and maybe the amino acids that you've yeah, got in there. And how, and how the carp digest it. There's a few key points with the great cold water grain base. It was when Dave designed it, he designed it for cold water purposes. Um, the flavour also takes a big hit with that as well because it's the the, the flavour we use is a flavour called grain base, but it's based around a black currant, but it's got a menthol note to it as well. And the menthol in cold water disperses much easier so carp can pick up the senses onto it because obviously when they're cold-blooded they're moving so much slower in winter they you need every slight little edge you can get so if they can pick up on the scent or the trace of this the menthol black current in the water because it helps it disperse they can sense it and that obviously with the chemicals that make up that flavor triggers them to feed and that's why they'll drop down on the bait now the obviously the flavors part of it the base mix has got to be good as well there's no good just putting a, a crappy flavor into into a good base mix because the base mix will carry it so far but you need both and with the cold water mix it, the green beast and the base mix work just perfectly together now with the cold water mix you've got way way You've got calf milk, you've got Samo. You still need your carbohydrates to go in the bait in the winter because that helps them digest it. And you don't want to pack them out full of protein because that's defeating the objects. Like I said, if they eat too much protein, they're just going to sit there and they're just going to go, well, I'm full now. So the, the idea is to try and keep it moving through their body. And that means you'll get more bites. If you keep it little and often in the winter, I think is key. Don't pile it in. Just keep get a bite, top up, put a few 10, 15 out, get another bite and just keep doing it. That's how I winter fish is little and often. Get a bite, put another few out. Don't overfill it. And I think that's where some people go too mad summer and winter they just put out too much bait and they're killing their chances before they they even get 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 those those bark chances you know mm. uh, and do you think other manufacturers are doing the same type of thing well some are getting close to us i feel but i still think cold water is in a different league like most 
all bait companies do good good bait for for summer. I can't say that you could go to any mm. big sort of like five or six and you could pick out you'll have your favorite one from from each one. But, but I think when it comes to the winter, there is a there is a fine there is a definite divide in the company. So they will all say that that they they all catch fish, but but and they probably do to a certain degree, but will they keep up with something like cold water? It is very unique. It smells amazing. Girlfriends over the year that, that keep the boilies in their pocket because they love the smell of it so much. It's an air freshener. Mm. <laughs> it's designed to catch a carp, and that is exactly what it, it, it does in the winter. And I've used this bait now for 30 years, and, I, and it's the only boilie that I will use in the winter. It's, yeah, a... it's, it's a unique smell as well. Yeah, it is very unique. Yeah. 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 Very. I'm. I, I've only used it a few times, but I'm very impressed by it. Yeah. A lot of manufacturers now that I've just recently. I mean, I, I'm starting to hear a lot more emphasis on bait not only going in the summer and the winter, but they're talking about autumn and spring as well. Mark Holmes was on our last episode. He touches on. I mean, my memory's like a sieve, but he was touching on each individual bait. So, like, for spring, you would have more of a, a bug ingredient-based bait, if you understand, um, because yeah. obviously you would get a lot of fly hatches. So, stuff that would match that more and so on. So, is that a route that you guys are looking at going down? I think that's an interesting one. I mean, from, from a manufacturer's point of view, that, that's very diff- difficult because um, if you look at, if you look at the climate, will go to extremes of Devon to Northumberland up north or Manchester the seasons are different and what happens in the water at different times it all happens at different times and it can be affected by depths as well of the waters Um, so that that is that's an interesting one but like Neil said I mean we have we have the cold water specifically for we for winter fishing um we have the super fruit which again is used and i've seen it prolific this winter being used um because it against milk protein but a lot of people are mixing it also with the cold water to give it a different touch and people have been doing well on it um but again with the super fruit People are using that all the way through the all the way through. People do still like using the milk proteins throughout the year, and I don't know whether that's an old school thing, um, but they still catch you fish. Um, the whole natural thing is a is a, a another ball game again. And yes, I think it, it's certainly an avenue we're looking at in house at the moment it's important it's another edge that you might be able to give your bait um to get it more to the natural food source of the cart yeah i'm going to put a slight twist on that fenton now do you think the fish have become more conditioned to eat these products within the winter now 
if you were to say go back 30 years, 40 years, do you think these winter baits would be as successful? Because um, I think obviously, you know, most anglers know that you would need to, if you want to catch river carp, let's say you want to pre-bait, so you want them to get used to eating your bait. Now, I think fishermen has become so massive and so dominant, especially in the winter now. I mean, you look at complexes like Linear, you know, these pegs are, are full round the clock all the way through winter, coming in, into early spring. I mean, it, it just colossal amount of bait that goes in. Do you think that helps? Uh, again, I think, it's very, I think it's a very fine line, <laughs> depending on the size of the fishery, depending on the head of fish that are actually in the lake. I think it's a very fine line indeed. Um, I think trick, bait trickling into a lake, if the fish are finding food, picking it up, they're likely to stay a little bit more active. They're obviously going to become dormant. They're not going to move around so far. But at one point, there's going to be a boy that donks them on the head <laughs> as a, as a <laughs> lake them and give them a wake-up call. And I think... Winter fishing has changed over the years for that fact. Mm. I think waters are seeing people, the fishing gear's got better, your bivvies have got better, your sleeping bags have got better, you know, you're staying warmer as an angler. Mm. I mean, going back to the day, I mean, I remember wrapping myself up in three or four, trying to keep warm in three or four sleeping bags that I bought for minutes. Um, <laughs> nowadays, you the equipment out there is unreal yeah. and there are yeah. anglers out there that don't fish apart from the winter yeah and not because it, don't, it is always going to be harder in the winter but you haven't got the crowds of people you can you can try and track them down a little bit easier you can move swims easier in the winter a lot of these waters nowadays you get on a swim that's where you're staying because all the others are full. Linear is a typical example. People queuing up, driving around, waiting for the next swim to come available. And you have to take what what's, what comes up. And so I, th I do think times have changed. Um, but again, I think you've just, as Neil touched on before, I think you've got to be careful about how much bait's going in the water. Um, that doesn't take them a lot to fill up in the winter. No, that's right. And um, Carl... a lot of team have seen a lot of success from crumb boily in a stick mix on a single hook bait. And as mm. simple as that. And again, you know, I was talking to one of our, our good team members yesterday, and he's saying, you know, I just can't believe the amount of spots that are going into the lake. Um, he said, it's just crazy. He said, so I'll just move away from it now. And they said, I think I know where the carp lie up. He said, it's just a single hook bait with crumbed up boily. And he's had some great results. Absolutely great results from it. Okay, let's move on. And we're going to move on to our first feature, which is Noddy Nightmares. This is where I ask our guests for their carp fishing fail. Something funnier the better. So we'll start with you, Fenton. Noddy Nightmares. Oh, this is going back quite some time. Um, back back to the day, really, before proper bivvies, and I had a old wave lock brolly with um, customised sides on it, and my, my dear mum had sewn or Velcro around the inside of the brolly to hold hold the sides on, and I was so pleased I got this 
these brand new sides for my 50 inch brolly um and i've gone onto the onto the reservoir uh, so intent on getting my rods out i've got my rods out it's late in the afternoon and settled down for the night i'd have my dinner it's quite calm and i can't remember what time it was but I just woke up and it was lashing down. I can't work out why I'm getting absolutely soaking wet. I'd lost a lot. I'm not pegged down properly. And my body just <clears throat> taken off across across the reservoir. <laughs> on my Argos sunbed. Um, absolutely drenched. And just everything was absolutely drenched. Um, I proceeded to walk around the lake to find my my brolly in the reeds where it was out of reach. I couldn't reach it. And I was just like, oh, God, what do I do? And what what can you do in those circumstances? You know, you've got a lot. I'll tell you what you do, Fenton. You put your hat on with a little bell on the top. Uh, You just, (laughs) I just sat there with a fat thump until it got light. I went and rescued my brolly eventually. It blown round in, into a bay. I went and rescued my brolly and I just went home with a fat hunt, to be honest. It's one of those ones that always sticks with you. Now, people do take the mick out of me now because that is never going to happen to me again. Everything is pegged down nowadays. Um, um, my last syndicate was a big open reservoir in the middle of a farmer's field. Not a tree in sight. Windy night. The landing nets get pegged down. Everything gets pegged down. There's not a chance I'm losing anything like that again. Um, oh, just one of those ones that sticks with you. There's been a few along the way, but I think that's the worst one that I've well, had. You live and learn, <laughs> mate. Right, Neil, what's your noddy nightmare? Um, really, like, Fenton was talking to me about this earlier. Now, because obviously like, I've been carping for now and it's sort of nearly 35 years, and I was doing it at the top level for, well, for like 20, 20 years at, at least. <laughs> yeah, and the waters that I fished, like Darrenth, Yately, and the car park, you didn't want to make mistakes. So I'm trying to think hard of like noddy mistakes that what I've actually made, which has not been that many. Last one, what I can think of would have been at the rise <laughs> and it was a bit of a schoolboy error I must admit and I'm going to run for you what actually happened now I've, I think it was on an overnighter and I've turned up and I've put and I'm using my bait boat and I've put a marker float out to the to the level distance of where where this big weed bed and I'm fishing like off the side of the weed so I put the marker up so I can see where the weed is and I put the the three rods out and it's getting dark, so I'm rushing around, setting the bivvy up and everything else. And I think it was autumn time. So the bird life was giving me a bit of grief because I wanted to put out, fire, scatter bait out as well as put it out with the bait boat. So it, it, it's basically, it's got dark. And like, and what I've, and I, I, so I've sorted everything out and I've got fishing. Rods are all out, but what have I done? 
I've still left the marker float out there. I've completely forgotten about it because obviously I've propped it up on the reeds. The marker floats out there. About five hours later, screaming run, and I've hit into this fish, and I'm thinking, oh, this feels all right. And then all of a sudden, it's all started getting very, very heavy. And I'm thinking, God, this weed's getting hard. And I'm dragging, basically, the fish in, my marker on, <laughs> and a load of weed. And, I'm thinking, <laughs> and I have, still haven't clocked it yet. And I, it wasn't until it got about 20 yards out, and I just couldn't move it. And I was thinking, what the hell is going on? Something's not right. So now I've had to put the rod down, go and get the boat, <laughs> walked halfway around the lake, got the boat, come back to me swim, gone out in the boat, and then I've re then the marker is still up. It's all got tangled round all oh, the brain. God. Like, and I'm t oh, it's, it's like 12 o'clock at night. I've got work the next day. <laughs> I'm sitting there sort of cursing in oh. the boat, like trying <laughs> to get this poor fish in. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And basically, I managed to get the fish in, so there was no harm done. Um, the fish got re released, or I think it was a mid-20. So it, it all worked out in the end, but I think that was probably my biggest noddy nightmare in the last sort of 10 years, really. <laughs> I'll tell you Mate. what, I wasn't working with you the next day. <laughs> Mate, if I ever happened to that to me in one session, that's a good session for me. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Catching some weed. <laughs> if you see the water start fish, you try not to make mistakes. Yeah. Um, like I said to Fenton, like I've caught over 25 English 40 out of some proper tough lakes. Yeah. And it's like magical fish, like history fish, like Basil and Heather mm. and, and Dippy from Snake Pit and the Back Lake Common and James's fish, just to name a few. Mm. But so, so when you're fishing at that level, you're switched on. You try not to make any mistakes. Yeah, it can be costly. Wow, wow! You caught you caught Basil, did you? When did you catch Basil? Uh, yes, uh, yes. I'm I'm one of the only few people that caught Basil and Heather in the same season. Wow, that's great, mate. That's that's good bit that's... of angling there, mate. So well, that... you, do you know? Do you remember what year that was? Yeah, nineteen ninety seven. If you if you see Neil's photo book, photo albums of fish, he's got more photo albums than I've got of my life history. <laughs> it, it, it's incredible when you look through them and the detail in the photo albums is just it's just incredible. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, when you're catching that type of fish, you'd be a mug not to take a photo. But I think when I was fishing back in the 90s, yeah. um, I just, I wasn't that sort of nostalgia. You know, I didn't ever carry the camera on me. It just, it was like, catch the fish, put it back. You know, it wasn't, I never really sort of, and I regret it now. I mean, I wish I did. I mean, I've had quite a few fish in, in the past where I just, yeah, just didn't take any photos whatsoever. I but suppose yeah. if you were catching lots of forties out of these lakes, though, yeah, you'd probably yeah, camera, would you? What, yeah, that's definitely. Yeah, I mean that's another level. But uh, yeah. Anyway, thank you for that, Neil. Thank you for that, Fenton. That was some pretty good ones there. We'll move on. We'll get back to the subject at hand. Now, right. What is do you think is DT's most successful bait, and and why do you think that is? Well, I'll let you answer that one, Neil, with your experience of DT. Well, in my mind, there's two. Um, you can't put it down to one. Um, for me, 
personally, the pucker fish for summer months with either oily chicken and peach and sour cream. It, it just stands the test of time. Um, I caught Heather, like we're going back, you just asked me when I caught Heather and Basil that, that Heather was caught on peach and sour cream back in 1997. So that just proves how good that bait is. And obviously, to me, cold water as well. It's just, mm. it's just an un, unbelievable, exceptional bait. And I wouldn't use anything else in the winter. So those are the two baits what I would personally use and I think stand the test of time. No, but that takes nothing away from baits like Emblend, which is like full of tiger nut meal and milk proteins. It's mm. just it's different baits for different mm. waters and different different times of the year as well. Mm. You know, I mean, Emblend works very well in the spring and early summer. Pointing out at this at this point actually that, you know, that's something that's quite unique with DT is that the baits that we produce today are some are you know near enough bob on what they were back in the day and yeah. um, our philosophy even to this day is why change or why tinker with something if it doesn't need fixing and i think some companies have lost their way a little bit over the years because things have evolved. They have tinkered with the base mixes. They have tinkered with what goes into the bait. And it does end up affecting the results. Um, and I, th I think Neil will back me up on this one, that, that you know, most of what we do today is still the same. Uh, yeah. things that, that have had to change you know there are a couple of ingredients you can't get anymore or we've been affected with the animal animal feed regulations but generally speaking that it, it is the same bait today can i just ask a question that's quite a claim when did you catch ever what year was that 1997 1997 now you yeah. caught that on a DT bait in 1997. Now, I just want to know, why do you think that DT baits, because obviously you should be more dominant in the carp angling world that you deserve as a bait. Yeah. And I just wonder why, is it mismanagement? Is it bad management? Because I'm thinking if you're catching Heather on DT baits back in 1997. All it is is marketing. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think Neil's right. You know, I mean, no disrespect to previous to yeah. previous owners. They've been happy with the business, how it's how it's. You know, they've got their regular client base. Um, you know, I talked to some of the customers today. They've been using DT for twenty years. I, I had a guy come in today. Fifteen years he's been using DT bait to pick his pick his stuff up. You know, will not change. Um, and I think that's a testament when you see how many anglers are using it. Um, another good point to make on that is that DT, we don't have a large team. Um, you know, we, we have 20 anglers out there mm -hmm. um, working for us, and we're not looking to expand that beyond the 20. Mm -hmm. Some companies out there, you know, probably got hundreds on the, what the class does a team they're getting a discount code 
on the hope that they're going to come back and buy more because they've got the discount code that they're going to mention that it's been caught on such and such bait and help push the brand through. Um, what we're doing now with DT is, oh, personally, I don't believe in that. I think that having team members, you should feel like you're part of a team. Um, we've got two levels. I've got team members and we've got consultants. Now, the first thing I did with joining DT was put them all in the same group. Why should they have different groups? Why should they be treated any differently? And I've got the team to actually communicate better together. You know, we have a bit of banter on there. Everyone knows everyone. Well, not everyone's met because they're spread out around the country. Um, but everyone knows everyone on first name detail. And I know there's private chats go on between them that I'm not pivy to. Um, but I think that's great. And I think that's what helps the company along. And I know a lot of these guys are out there talking about DT on the bank. And I think over the time, people are starting to see through this now with the amount of consultants and team members that you're getting all these catch reports. People want the truth out there. And the truth is the catch reports that you put up, the, the general public that are buying your baits and people are starting to see this. And if you look at our social media, mm. that's what you see a lot of. Yes, you get our consultants and team members in there um, because they're on the bank. But there is a lot of the general public that are using our bait that are on there. And the one thing you'll see over the coming months is DT is out there. I've got a bit of a marketing background myself. Um, we're in Carpology now every month. I mean, we've got some smashing. I don't want to mention it here because I want it to be a surprise for people. But we've got some really interesting stuff coming up over the next 12 months. Um, and I think this is just a start, start for DT springboarding and making it a bigger brand. So what's your output at the moment, as in tonnage? I mean, you hear all these stories about mainline. I don't expect you to be on any level as in regards of, of what you can produce. I want to be the next mainline, to be honest with you. No. Um, I think you can have a successful business without being the biggest. Mm. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, to me, uh, we've touched on it already. It's about the quality of the bait. Mm. Uh, getting your return customers. Um, you know, everyone's worked hard. Work is hard nowadays. Everyone's having to work hard, especially through the current climate, what we've all been through. And I think you should actually make work fun, especially when you're doing working in an industry that you're passionate about. That's right. Uh, you know, I mean, I can work till 9, 10 o'clock at night I've got no qualms with me. That's the way I am because I'm actually really enjoying and passionate about what I'm doing. And I think um, Neil's the same. Neil's passionate about what he does. I know Neil. I've seen Neil talk to customers when they've come and picked bait up from outside the factory. We leave it outside. They ring us, do the whole social distancing thing at the moment. And 
you know, oh, so I look at Neil's face when they come and pick up, and they're telling him the stories about he's had, they've had such and such fish from this lake, and that's what gives Neil the buzz. Am I right, Neil, with that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you've got to have a bit of a personal touch and and, and interact with the public. If you're too like big companies like Nationat, they would you're just another clock card number, surely. Mm-hmm. As a company, we've got to grow. We're we're actually investing heavily in the company. Um, we've got new equipment on the way. I mean, Neil will tell you that how upside down we are at the moment because we're actually having all our floors coated as we speak well not as we speak over this weekend and you know it's major upheaval but for the good and what we're what we're actually doing is getting our ducks in a row this year to really really springboard the company next year we'll never get up to the likes of nash and mainline but do i really want to be that big that little part of me says yes it'd be nice but I think you lose the personal touch. And it doesn't matter what business you're in, um, people do business. Top and bottom of it is, the one thing that we can't affect is what we're putting out in the marketplace. Because that is the DT name, is quality. Yeah. I think this is a big miss for a lot of carp anglers. You know, if you're catching Heather in 1997, think you deserve uh, as a bait company to to be a little bit more well known because you could probably ask um definitely you know perhaps anglers that have been got into the sport maybe five or six years you could probably ask them about dt baits and they probably won't know anything about them no that's right yeah that's how it's gone over the years but that's just the the way it is and like i said a lot of our customer bases in the early days they used to get on onto DT and it, it would work so well for them. They didn't want to say anything. They, they had the edge to themselves, you know. That, mm. was, that was that was their that was their thing. So it was like getting blood out of a stone to get them to advertise stuff. <laughs> so it was it was, it was an awkward one because they didn't want to give up their edges. As a company, I've worked under quite a few of the owners and we've rolled I'm not going to say uh, like which bait companies, but we've rolled quite a few bait companies bait over the years, and I'm telling you now they're not in the same league as DT baits. I mean, I think Neil, what Neil's saying there is right. I mean, <laughs> as a bait company, we want people out there promoting our bait, telling, talking to people on the lake, saying how good our bait is. Unfortunately, I've been there myself. I'm sure you guys are the same. If you hit a winning bait, would you be broadcasting it to the lake that you're fishing? You wouldn't. You know, it's your little edge of why you're catching. Um, There are some anglers out there that really don't mind. And the actual fact, they enjoy sending in their catch reports because it gives them a bit of limelight. Um, On our social media, we have quite a close um relationship with talking carp so we get our catch reports into talking carp nowadays which is your free online magazine um and people like that people like seeing it you know you don't have the paper publications out there anymore um so there is a mix of anglers out there These serious anglers if they've got an edge they keep it to themselves and that like, that does work against you uh, yeah at the time. I think it's a generation thing as well. I think the new, the, the, 
the, the anglers for the last sort of 10 years, they're the ones that love the limelight. They all want to be the next Terry Hearn. They all want to be the next Dave Lane. The, the, the generation before 2000 will, will take it and leave it. And if they find an edge, they'll, they're likely to more like Keith Stump and, and, and zip up tight and not say anything. And I think you'll probably agree with that, the way social media's gone with everything. Mm. The, the new generation of carp anglers in the last 10 years will blab everything across Facebook, <laughs> the weight of the fish before it's even in the net, you know? <laughs> it's, it's up on Facebook, <laughs> on social media, everywhere. But like the generation before 2000 will generally keep things a lot more tight-lipped and uh, they want their edges to themselves. Right, we're going to move on to our next feature, um, which is our Quick Fire 5. This is where I ask you five easy carp-related questions. These ones we're actually doing now, they're our new set of questions. We put them out on our Facebook page. So these are new ones for you guys, so you'll be the first guinea pigs to answer these ones. But shall we start with you, Fenton? Um, well done to the guys who uh, suggested the questions. Thank you very much. Well done to them indeed. Yeah, they, they'll well, get I'll a big... say well done after I've heard them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is the biomolecular structure of? <laughs> yeah, the nuclear physics of this. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. So we'll start with you, Fenton. Quick pie five. Fully scaled or leather? Oh, that's a good one. Fully scaled for me. Okay. Barbed or barbless? Oh. Barbed. Mono or fluoro? Fluoro. 430s or 140? Nowadays, 430s. 430s. Okay. Or, and this is our last one. I'm going to keep this one, actually. You know we were talking about this, Matt? Yeah. I'm going to keep it in, mate, because I just love it so much, the reaction that we get from it. Yeah, no, so do I. <laughs> Real handles, in or out. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, come on, I'm old school. What's all this real handles in like? What's <laughs> <laughs> a chance. I should have done this with both of you answering the same question, really, shouldn't I? Um, yes, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. he's going to be well prepped now, nearly, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. My answers are going to be slightly different on some of them, but you can, go on, go, go for it All again. Right, okay, we'll go with you, Neil. Uh, right. Fully scaled or leather? Um, definitely fully scaled. You can't, when you see all those, mm. like, scales all over it, and it, they just look stunning, fully scaled mirrors. And it's like you're talking, and I've caught the, probably the most famous lever in the country. So, but no, yeah. uh, fully scalped mirror for me. Barbed or barbless? Um, definitely barbed. Uh, barbless can cause problems. Um, I, I've got, I've seen evidence of this as well. Um, on on waters in France where they're getting pressured, um, the, the 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 hooks are actually slicing their mouth, and and I. We was fishing this water called La Folly back in 1993, and we was catching all these fish, which had good mouths, but they had all like these cuts in them. And we was thinking, what the hell is going on? We worked it out. It was the barb the sooks because the barb holds it. 
in place, the hook won't won't wiggle about a bit. When it's when it was the barbless, they were slicing their mouths and yeah. and pulling. So barb for me every time. Okay, mono fluoro. Uh, no, no. Four thirty or one forty. For me, it'd be definitely one forty. <laughs> okay, and real handles in or out? I'm old school, so out. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need your real handles tucked in and being a tarp. To, well, to what was it? Um, what was it? Um, Ian Russell was saying. Was it? Um, was it Ronnie Bus runs a couple of um, a couple of syndicate waters or membership waters, and he's right. actually was saying. Uh, Ian Russell was saying that uh, Ronnie. I'm sure it was Ron. Yeah. Was um, when he when he goes around the lakes. If he sees anyone with their real handles in, he takes their permits away. Right. Because of, because of the potential delays. So, like, if you're yeah. fishing tight up the snags. Yeah, that's right. Because of the potential delays and, like, you know, something could go wrong and the real handle could come off and things like that. Yeah. And the time delay of, you know, resetting the handle and then, you know, clocking in with the fish. He's, um, yeah, anyone's got their real handles in, they're off the, off the lake. All it is is a fashion statement. Yeah. That was all yeah. it was. It was just yeah, a yeah, fact yeah. that certain people in Essex made up. I'm not going to say names, but we, we all know who they are. And and it just got out of hand. But it all, that's all it is, is just to look good mm. Mm. and get the rod as close as together and everything in a dead straight line. But unfortunately, yeah. that doesn't catch fish. It just makes it look good. But yeah, as you yeah, said, on a, on a personal level, no, real handles out and good. Like single bank sticks, a bit old school, everything. Doesn't matter if it, if the bank stick's not quite so straight. It's more sturdy <laughs> than anything else. I've seen loads of people use pods over the years and buzzer bars and like they get a take and the the rod slams up against the bloody like the buzzer, the half the pod goes over and all sorts of messes over the years. So because I'm just thinking because most most reels They've yeah. got the wine, mind mechanism. I think the only way you could probably make that work is with like an emblem spot, you know, where you've got the clip. Yeah. Where it just clips in. You may be able to get away with it doing it that way because you just need to move the real handle up and then that'll slot back. But most reels, well, I mean, my main reels, you need to wind them on, you know. You, you've got yeah. to turn the screw to tighten them up. And I would imagine that's, that's the same for most reels. It's just something else you've got to do that's not necessary, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. As Neil said, you know, you could virtually see anglers out there nowadays. They might as well have a spirit level with them to make sure their rods are level. <laughs> yeah. You know, some, some people are not, well, I just can feel, you can sense people as they walk behind you, can't you, at times, and what they're probably thinking. And they probably look at me and probably think, look at this noddy here, you know, with his setup. To be honest, I don't really care what people think. You know, if I've got my rods are probably not level, they're probably pointing in different directions depending on where I'm fishing. I'm comfortable with that. I think it's best for my fishing. That's what I'm going to do, following what everyone else does, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not one for spirit levels. I mean, that's probably a bit extreme, but I, I do like to have my rods in a sort of a straight fashion. I don't like them like leaning over. But the worst thing is is that if the ground is not that good, you know, they're leaning over, but you haven't put your bank sticks in properly, and then you push them over a bit, and you're thinking, oh, shit. Then they go back the other way. Then you have to stick something down the side of the bank stick, like a stone or a twig, so they keep upright still. 
yeah. but anyway, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's when you find that you rod to all different levels. Trusting you with bank sticks to get it sturdy. Yeah, um, I know. It's sturdy, you just leave it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. Why yeah. I am anyway. Right, we'll move on. Thanks for that, guys. What do you think um, the next bait innovations, if there are any, um, not just with DT, but in the whole baiting market? I mean, do you think there's going to be anything that's going to come out that's, I don't know, maybe surpass the boilie or make the boilie 10 times better? I mean, I always thought that going a bit off the cuff here, why don't we use square baits? Obviously, there's a whole logistical problem in regards of how you would produce them, how would you introduce them into a water. You can't use a, a throwing stick, for instance. But then again, it would open up a whole new market for equipment to be used on them. So do you think there's any room for that? Yes, I do. And I think uh, it comes... Uh, it comes... Oh, well, coming up with something different, you think... That, Best way of looking at it is you look at anything. You look at chocolate bars, you think, oh, it can never bring out a new chocolate bar. Surely it's always been done. There's always something else new that can come out. Somebody will always develop something new. And that will have, keep continually happening in the bait world. Whether it's successful or not is another matter. You know, again, it's some things you can go too radical and it doesn't take off. Um, but at the end of the day, it's got to catch fish, and the proof is when the fish are landing on the bank, and yeah. it's as simple as that. And when you, if you're going to be that radical, it's got to be field tested properly, and you've got to get the anglers hooked on it. Excuse the pun, but you've got to get the anglers <laughs> hooked on it and start actually using it and catching, and then it will take off for you. Um, yeah. but that can take you a considerable amount of time to develop in the first place. Um, when it comes to equipment for making bait like that, it's a game changer. You know, you, you're starting to get into the realms of custom-made equipment for you. Um, but nothing's impossible, you know, this, this day and age. No, you can even go with boilies. When they were first, their conception, whenever it was back in the 80s, early 80s, you know, was it late 70s? Yeah, late boi- Fred late- Milton at Darren's yeah. was the first man who made boilies. Yeah, so there you go. So, uh, And I'm sure when he come out with a the boilie, there were people who were going, what are you talking about? You know, this is a load of rubbish. You know, you ain't going to catch nothing <laughs> on that. <laughs> now look at it. You know, no yeah. one will fish without a boilie on their hook. So when I say something like a square boilie, people go, what's he talking about? But who knows? It might be the thing to trip up carp even more than a normal boilie. Um, like I said, you've just got a logistical problem with that. But if you've got somebody who's brave enough um, to take it on and field test it. Now, I'm not saying that you guys are going to go and develop square boilies, but do you have anything in the pipeline that you're going to take a bit of a leap of faith in trying? Or you boys are, uh, I wouldn't say keeping it safe, because obviously what you're doing is, is very good. And, and there's that old added thing of don't fix something that isn't broken. But you've got to keep coming up with new things and um you know there's if you see our brainstorming sessions we've had on ideas uh, you know the list is monstrous really it's impossible to to develop or take them all on 
Um, from our, our perspective at the moment, as I've touched on before, you know, we're spending a lot, of time, investing a lot in the factory, and we've got to get our ducks in the road to start with this year for the next few months to make sure that we're streamlined, we can cope with um, growing business because um, it will grow, it is going to grow as people hear about DT. But you will you will start seeing new products coming through from DT. It's not going to be in the next couple of months, but you know this year, back end of this year, certainly next year, there will be new products in the range. There's some really exciting stuff coming up. I can't talk about it too much here. Mm. Um, don't worry for there's only like three people listening I think anyway mate yeah 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 I'm sitting here thinking come on that's not fair (laughs) give us an exclusive that's narrowing you to find out we we will be developing but if it's square boilies fence and Reza's going to want copyright yeah. yeah, I'm going triangle instead. Yeah. <laughs> We're going like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, what all I can say is watch this space, it will be coming. Yeah, yeah no, it's got a bit, you know, it's got to be exciting times for you guys because like, there's so much room for you guys to go. And and I think that's the problem with, with the massive companies is there's less room for error, a lot less room. Not saying there isn't room for error for you guys, but you've got that room to grow. Um, the problem with, with companies like Mainline and the big companies like Starbates, Nash, you know, these, these guys are on every shelf and every tackle shop in the country. It just, they can get it wrong. And when they get it wrong, it, it's, you know, I, I hate to think how much the key, how much that cost, cost Kevin Nash. It must have cost him an absolute fortune to withdraw that. Yeah. You can let you like any business, you'll never get it right 100% all the time. Um, but all you can do is limit your risk, and I think by limiting your risk, is testing the product thoroughly first and testing the market. Yeah. Mm. And being a smaller company allows us to do that. I think having a smaller team that work together, we'll talk to each other. You know, I've got no qualms of sending out a new bait to any member of our team at all because I know I'll get truthful feedback. So I might not like, <laughs> yeah. but that's, that's the feedback I want. And I'm constantly saying to them, I might, I might be the boss. I might be, you know, the top of the company. But at the end of the day, I'm one of you guys. Tell me exactly how you feel. If you're not happy about something, tell me. If you're not happy with the bait, tell me. Because if you're thinking about thinking it, then there's other people that are thinking it that wouldn't say anything. And we need to look at it. In, in control in the factory, um, yeah, when it comes to quality control, you ain't going to get better than Neil. <laughs> um, if the times he pulls me up on stuff... Unreal, absolutely unreal. Uh, uh, Neil, this is probably a question for you, mate. Are there any yeah. ingredients that you're that you're thinking of introducing into your baits that that are out the box, perhaps that's a um, bit little, little bit left field? Yeah, there are. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. There um, 
Is is there any way you can tell me that they're not sort of Pacific in, in the actual ingredient itself? Um, what it is the listen the listeners might be able to get an understanding of. We were touched on we touched on on some natural products, didn't we? Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of natural ones in there. It's got a, a balance of everything. It's a good bait. It's not just like evolved around one thing. It, you need a balance of all a certain certain few ingredients to get it to work well. So, but we have got some interesting products which we're we're going forward and and we know as like a few field testers on the choir. As, mm. uh, as have done very, very, very well. So watch the space, like Fenton said. Oh, excellent. Right, now we come on to our brand new competition feature. It's competition time in association with DT Bates. The boys at DT Bates and Fenton have been very kind and they're giving a great prize away. The prize consists of... Two kilos of boilies, one kilo of matching pellets, one DNA glug, one pot of boosted hook baits, and one bait bucket. And the winner can choose their preferred flavour. Now, for that flavour, if you can go on to the DT website, which is www.dtbaits.co.uk, and you'll find a range of their flavours on there and everything to do with DT baits. It is a great package that we're giving away for nothing. And this is a feature that we plan to run on a monthly basis right so the question is neil caught two historical fish in 1997 which two fish were they were they a the black mirror and mary b basil and heather or c the parrot or the burfield common right now you'll need also go to our cup cogs face group page to give the answer as well as to tag a friend and also like the page the winner will be chosen at random and the competition will be closing on Wednesday the 22nd of April. We will put out the winner's name on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. So keep your eyes peeled and good luck to everyone. Right. OK, so uh, what does the future hold for you, Neil, <laughs> within your own angling? What sort of are you sending yourself any mountains to climb or any summits that you want to get to? Ways. I've always kept the standards high. Um, yeah. The last couple of years, I've had to sort of take a step back. I've just moved into a brand new house, so that had to be sort of done and decorated and, and yeah. all of that. I've had a daughter to, to concentrate, and the year before last, I had a hernia, so that sort of knocked me back as well. So I haven't done as much angling in the last couple of years as what I would love love to. I still set myself high targets because I've always set myself mm. like state challenges. Mm. Um, but this year, really, I just want to, because I haven't done so much angling in the last couple of years, mm. I just want to enjoy it again. You know, get back that buzz of watching the buzzer go, the bobbin hit the butt, the bait runner spinning, catching, catching fish, going back to sort of, the roots and the basic bits of like enjoying your fishing because right. when you've done it at the level that i've done it at for so many years it can get a little bit tedious you can get a little bit frustrated with it it it, it can take over your life into a, a certain extent where it comes too much of an obsession if you know what i'm saying 
at the end of the day, fishing's supposed to be fun. So let's like let's get back to that a little bit. There's too much of like I want to be the next Terry Hearn out there, you know. Mm, yeah. Forget that. It's like uh, go and enjoy your go enjoy your days fishing or your nights fishing with your with your dad, and then have a beer in the pub afterwards. Go and enjoy it. It's not all about I've just caught the biggest fish in the lake. I've I've got this one up on Facebook and all that scenario. It, it, it's going too far with it. We got to all go. We've all got to take a step back and cut the. Not saying social media hasn't got a place in carp fishing, but let's. I think we should take it back a little bit to to more how its roots, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm going to give you a question, mate. Um, yeah. Someone who's been prolific as you in the past, catching heather and um, basil, um, which yeah. are the two main ones that I can think of. If the world was your eyes, so let's say you know, I know it's it's just hearsay, but. If your little girl was maybe 18, 19, uh, yeah. and your missus was um, uh, quite happy to go and see her friends, go out in the town, and you had a lot more free time to yourself, yeah. which fish right now would you be going to target? Burfield Common. I was about to say that. <laughs> I was, honestly, I was <laughs> thinking that the Burfield <laughs> Common. Not the Black Mirror. It's, um, no, Burfield Common for me. Yeah, it would be for me as well, mate. I, no, I think all the time, and it's not that I know. I, if I went up there and fished it seriously, I know I'd catch it because my record on waters. Like I think about the last eighteen waters I fished, I caught the biggest fish in the lake. Mm. So that shows you sort of the standard of what I've kept up to, sort of thing. So I know if I went every fish I've put my mind to catch, whether it be a forty-pound scraper common up to basil, I've caught it. So. I have no, that would be the fish that I would go for. It's just such a beautiful fish and yeah. common being my favourite carp. And that is, that has got to be up there as a history maker. Yeah. And also it's not only that, you're not catching it in 40 acres of barrenness. You know, you, you're catching it in perhaps one of the most beautiful yeah. lakes. You know, it's got everything there. There's all bays, you know, it's, it's got everything and it's a beautiful lake to fish. So, you know, you're going to be catching one of the biggest fish in the country at a beautiful venue, you know, what, yeah. what more you want. That's why I think so many people love Yatley as well, because it was mm. right on, right in the heart of the, the countryside and the North Lake with Baslin. It was just 13 acres of islands, bars, gullies, weed, mm. little bays, Basil's bush, like mm. all sorts. There was a feature in nigh on every trim, but with only sort of like 13, 14 fish in the water, you did you wanted the wildlife as well. I used to see deer running around, kingfishers, also herons, all, all sorts of things, foxes, Magic. badgers, you know what I mean? It was just a magical time, you know, and the, the wildlife was as part of it as much as like fishing there, like you said, mm. like, yeah. with, like Birthwood would, would be, you know? Yeah. Maybe one day if he's still about, if he's uh, still alive, um, yeah, that... you, you can have a crack, mate. Yeah. <laughs> So that would be my that would be my target fish if I could if I could go back to full time in it now like what I did like twenty years ago. Yeah. Okay, mate. Thanks for that, Fenton. You as well. What's the future hold for you, mate? I don't think, to be honest, I don't think I would get back into serious carp fish where I'd let it rule my life anymore. I've been mm-hmm. there. I've done that. Um, I, my when I do get time on the bank nowadays, it's spending to uh, 
nothing gives me more pleasure than um, when my daughter comes along um, and is fishing as well and seeing her how she's progressed and over the last few years it, it's, it really 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 does please me and I, I can't get any more pleasure than that um, but because I don't have as much time on the bank as I'd, even I'd like you know just going somewhere where it's peaceful and quiet you catch a nice fish I'm happy with that nowadays I can't be dealing with all the queuing up for swims I don't have the time to put on the bank so it's the peace and tranquility and getting away from work getting away from the wife and just having a bit of time by yourself a bit of time with my daughter um you got a venue that if the world was your oyster within the uk or within europe do you have a venue you'd love to go and fish with your daughter one well the one the, the venue i'd like to do and i really regret not doing it when i was younger is um Cassine out in France, you yeah. know, historic place. Again, it still fishes well today, um, and it's always been on my bucket list, and just never got round to doing it. Um, again, you've got to seriously put the time in. Yeah, it's, um, it's a open water, and it's not easy, is it? You know, you've got to continually keep going back time and time and time again, and really learn the water, but hey, maybe if I win the lottery one day, mm. <laughs> I can get the time to do it. I'd after have to, me, I'd, mate. After me. After I've won it, mate. i or somewhere first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's been a fantastic listen. Fantastic listen. Right, that's on. It's uh, also been a great pleasure to be part of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I could sit here talking for another two hours. Um, it's been fan- absolutely fantastic. You know, we've talked, what we covered, we've covered, you know, a lot about bait, a lot about DT and, you know, and, and, and where you're going. Um, hopefully the listeners out there would have taken something from there, how they should look at their bait and, you know, the signs they should be looking for a good quality bait and don't read all the hype about certain baits and don't ignore these type of companies at DTR just because mm. Mainline and, and Nash is sitting on the shelf. I definitely won't. And again, thank you, Neil. Thank you, Fenton. Thank, Thank you, you, Matt. Thank you, boys. Fantastic listen. And uh, I'll encourage all the uh, all the listeners, if you've got any bait-related questions, pop a message up on our groups, and we'll make sure either Neil or Fenton answer it for you. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Happy day. Yeah, well said. Um, okay, and uh, thank you to the listeners, and we'll see you on the next episode of Carp Cogs. <laughs> Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man.